Hi, we here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we are starting off our series on Ephesians and the title to the series really is In Him and Through Him and uh, we'll jump into why that is in a moment. So we're going to be doing a, a book study and go through the letter to the, the church of Ephesus and so uh, I just want to open up uh, with a, a few statements and as we're going through this letter, uh, we're going to look at the, the, the purpose of the epistles as a whole. We're going to look at just uh, what the intent of Paul was with writing this, some background on that because it's good to know in the Bible, you're reading something like uh, it's not uh, oftentimes we want to do Bible roulette and we kind of like just open up and like this is a word for me. And, and that does sometimes happen like that. But we need to understand where are we reading? What are we reading from? Who's the author, audience, etc. And uh, what's the purpose of this letter? What's the purpose of this book? Because there's a there's a there's a problem within Christianity as a large and that is we've made the Bible something it is not. We've made the Bible something it's not. We've made the gospel something it's not. And it's all due to unhealthy doctrines and teachings. Because the Bible is something specific. The message of the Bible is something specific. It's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that as we get into the word, as we go to the Bible, we need to understand why are we here? Why are we here this morning? What are we getting into this morning as we're getting into the word? What are, we, what are we looking at? Because if we do not understand the purpose and the intent of something, what happens to it? It's damaged. It's distorted. It's diluted. For example, if I just use, and there's some people maybe in this room, you've got a smartphone, but you just use it for telephone calls, like making phone calls. But there's a whole lot your phone can do. Some of the ladies, social media. Some of the guys also social media. My wife, social media. I don't know if it's a lady thing. Um, but there's a whole lot that I can do with this phone. But if I don't know the purpose of this phone, I'm not going to use it to its full capacity. And if I think this phone is meant to be used as a, a chew toy for a dog, it's not going to last that long either. I'm gonna, it's going to be abused. And we need to understand as, as God's children how to rightly divide the word of truth because in accordance to how we divide and get into the word, it's going to produce fruitfulness or it's going to limit fruitfulness. Paul writes about this in Galatians 2.21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. So we can frustrate the grace of God. What does the word frustrate mean? It means to nullify. It means to choke. We can choke the power of the grace of God. We can nullify the power of the grace of God. By what? By thinking that it's something it's not. In that context, he's talking about righteousness. Righteousness just comes by God's grace, believing in His grace. Righteousness cannot come by the law because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Jesus came to fulfill what He came to do. Hence, we are now complete. Why? Because of Christ's Spirit living inside of us. Now, that is all awesome, and that's why we're getting into the Word, because we need to understand these things, and we need to be continually on a journey of the pursuit of truth. Be on a pursuit of truth, and we need to be open to truth that will challenge us. Because if we're not open to truth to challenge us in everything that we believe, 
we're going to come to a point where we will be faced with the truth. And if we don't want to be challenged, you're just going to be like, oh, that's not for me. I haven't heard this before. Oh, oh man, like, this is, this is strange. This is, this is weird. I'm not going to go there. So if we're not open to be challenged, how can you accept the challenge? For example, if someone says, hey, uh, Ilana, I challenge you to uh, 20K run next Saturday. If she's not open to it, if she's not open to it, I'm not going to see her wherever I told her to meet me for the 20K run, right? She's not going to come there. So we need to firstly ask ourselves, am I open to be challenged in life? As a son of God, as a child of God, as a daughter of God, am I open to be challenged? Because surely I think all of us can agree I'm on the pursuit of truth. I want to discover the truth because what does John 8.32 says? You will know the truth and that truth which you know will set you free. So it's not truth in itself that sets you free. It's a truth that you come to know. It's a truth that you come to embrace. So to speak, because the truth is the truth, whether you know it or not, but the truth can only impact you to the degree that you embrace it, that you say, I want this. Yes, it's challenging, it's different maybe, but I'm going to receive this because there's freedom in embracing that truth, knowing that truth. We need to measure truth with the right tool. Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus is a tool, guys. I'm saying the right tool, like the measuring rod that we are measuring truth with. Okay, so we need to use the right tools, otherwise we're going to mess things up. You can't come and say, Etienne, let's, let's, let's measure the temperature in the room this morning. And then you pull out your measuring tape. Like, that's crazy, right? It's not going to work. So we need to use the right tool, Jesus, in order to measure what is truth and what isn't truth. Hebrews 13, verse 8 and 9 from the Amplified Classic says, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is always the same, yesterday, today, yes, and forever to the ages. Do not be carried about different and varied and alien teachings for it is good for the heart to be established and ennobled and strengthened by means of grace. That's God's favor and spiritual blessing. And not to be devoted to foods, rules of diets, and ritualistic meals, which brings no spiritual benefit or no profit to those who observe them. The King James talks about this strange doctrines. Do not be carried about diverse and strange teachings or doctrines. And like I said, the, 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 the problem with the majority of the body of Christ is people aren't open to seeking truth. They, they, they find to just kind of do things the same as we've always done them. For the last 100 years, for the last 200 years, for the last 20 years, however long you've been a believer. But we need to be open to, to new things. The scripture isn't saying be close to new things. Be close to things that you haven't heard before. And verse 8 says, Jesus Christ. That's our measuring tool. Is this new thing that you're hearing, is it taking away from what Jesus accomplished on the cross? Death, resurrection, and outpouring. If it's not, then ask yourself, why are you so against this new thing that you're hearing? So we need to measure what we're hearing, not by whether we've heard it before or not, not by whether it's different or not, but is it taking away from Jesus? How's this lining up with Jesus? Amen. Good stuff. Hey guys, bless so far. We haven't even gotten to Ephesians yet. We're going to get there. So when we're confronted with new information, we can't just simply reject it. We need to investigate. We need to see what is this about. 
Now, as we're going into the book of Ephesians, we must, like I said, start off by asking, what is this? Firstly, this is an epistle, one of the letters written by Paul, one of the apostles, and we see the introduction in, in chapter 1. We'll get there in a moment. But firstly, we need to understand that the letters, how the Bible is, is laid out, we get the Old Testament and the New Testament. And within the New Testament, we've got the Gospels and Acts, and then we've got the letters. Now, the Gospels and Acts is very much the life of Jesus walking the earth, ushering in the new, the promise, bringing in the promise. Because there's a one promise that's been made from the beginning of time and was fulfilled through Jesus. Now, we like to claim promises, right? Who of you have claimed some cool promises in, in the name of Jesus? Come on. Now, the awesome thing is, from the beginning of time, there was one significant, life-changing, earth-shattering promise that was made to mankind. The Spirit of God living in man. And that is life-changing. And knowing that God came, Jesus died, and He made it possible for the God, God Almighty, Holy God, Perfect God, Universe God, to live inside of our frail human bodies. That's something that we need to wrap our heads and minds around because there's a power that is living inside of us that, is, that just needs to be activated. We just need to come alive to what is inside of us. And this is Paul's letter and all of the epistles. They're writing from this perspective because we see the Gospels. Jesus didn't yet fulfill this promise. The promise was in action. You guys getting, he was walking the earth. Yeah, he didn't die yet. He didn't get born crucified. Like there was, it was a, a lifetime that went by. And seeing the gospels, the, the records, the eyewitness accounts of some of the things that he did in his earthly ministry. And then we see the, the, the birth of the early church in Acts. And we see Luke writing about what he saw happening in Acts. And he sees these things. He sees the, the 120 in the upper. They are filled with the Holy Ghost and there's, there's, a, there's a mighty rushing wind and there's, there's tongues of fire. That's something that was, that was seen, right? That's not something that we teach as a doctrine. Hey guys, we need to wait for mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire before we can experience the Holy Spirit. You guys getting what I'm saying? Okay, this is church, guys. This is a think about what you're hearing. This is make notes. Ask yourself questions. This isn't classroom or like a lecture where you just need to soak in the information. This is God's word, which is alive and active, but you need to switch on. You need to open up your heart in order for this word to impact your heart and touch you and do something in your life. So simply put it, this epistle and all of this epistles is an explanation of the revelation of a mystery, of the promise fulfilled through Jesus Christ. It's an explanation of what already happened through Jesus. So they're writing in light of what Jesus did on the cross. This is the life that we can live as believers. We need to come to know this because they're making known to us. Paul specifically, we'll see that in a moment. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3 quickly. And then we're going to start at the beginning. Chapter 3, verse 3 to 6 from the Amplified Classic. And it says, And that the mystery or secret was made known to me, and I was allowed to comprehend it by direct revelation, as I already briefly wrote to you. When you read this, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. 
This mystery was never disclosed to human beings in past generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles, consecrated messengers, and prophets by the Holy Spirit. It is this, that the Gentiles are now to be fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body and joint partakers, sharing in the same divine promise in Christ through the acceptance of the glad tidings of the gospel. So Paul is writing, and we get into this mystery a little bit more in a moment. He's writing about there was a mystery that was concealed in the old. It wasn't, it wasn't not there. It was concealed. It was hidden. If you play hide and seek, you hope someone is hiding, right? Otherwise, you're just going to be seeking and seeking and seeking, and like someone's going to wonder what's wrong with this guy. So there was something that was concealed in the old, and Jesus, we saw this last week in John 8 or John uh, 5, verse 39 and Luke 24. It talks about taking the scriptures, the old, and opening up the understanding to see that these things were talking about him. And this is what the epistles are about. They're writing about there was a mystery hidden and concealed, but it's been made known to us, the apostles, to write about this. And where did we get this from? Not from man, not from under a rock somewhere, but directly from the Holy Spirit. And so what we're getting into this morning, the, the letters in, in Ephesians specifically, man, it's profound. You need to see that what we're getting into this morning has is, is got the potential to set you up for so much victory to live in because it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a letter that was written to a church a few hundred years ago. It's not just a, a letter... That, that kind of was a nice, a nice to have. When Paul wrote this, he didn't just write this in, 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 in light of the Ephesian church that he planted. He wrote it in, in, in view of the church of God. And knowing that for generations and generations to come, people are going to read this letter. And so what is penned down here for us, there's so much revelation about this mystery, the promise of God fulfilled, and what is able, what is the potential of the believer now. And so that is why we're looking at the title, In Him and Through Him. Because in the first three chapters, we really see this, this, these words, In Him, In Christ, coming out continually because it's declaring identity. It's declaring identity, who you are in Christ. Because of the Spirit of God living inside of you, this is who you are. In him, and then chapters four to six, it's talking about through him. Now, because of this identity, this is what you can do. This is the manifestation that you can see. So we, we see the gospel inheritance, we see the spirit of God living in man, and then because of that spirit, there's an outworking of the gospel in our lives, the fruit of Christianity that we can see. You guys excited? Chapter one, Ephesians. We probably, most likely, definitely, just going to get into the first two verses this morning. So Ephesians 1 verse 1 to 2 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is awesome. Okay? So as we're going through this letter, I want to encourage you guys, when you go home, read the letter in its entirety. Because it wasn't written to be broken up. There's a reason why we're going to break it up this morning. Because we, we want to get the most out of what is Paul explaining here. What is he writing about? So we're going to dig in deep this morning. 
Uh, but I want to encourage you guys to go and read the letter in its entirety because you'll see the beautiful link between the first three chapters, identity, and the link to that. Because of this, because of your identity, therefore, this is the life that you can live. Therefore, you can see this manifestation of fruit in your lives. But it's linked to identity. Without identity, the therefore would only be a work. It would be legalism. It will be religion. It will put the focus you where the focus is on Jesus what did Jesus do that is Christianity what did Jesus do not what do I have to do what did Jesus do come to know that come to know the spirit of God inside of me and then there'll be a fruitfulness that you get to live out as a child of God because the apple does not fall far from the tree because like father like son but we need to get to know this father we need to get to know the root of God inside of us because that will enable a release of the fruit so Paul says, Paul, I'm an apostle. So he's opening up this letter as all of his other letters stating who he is and who sent him. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And as we saw in Ephesians chapter 3, the Amplified Classic explains this apostleship. It's really just a special messenger. And Paul was a special messenger, not of something, but of someone that's what ambassador is. You're not an ambassador of yourself. We are called ambassadors of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. We are ambassadors of Christ, and an ambassador represents someone, ascending nation. Paul represented Jesus Christ. Paul represented the will of God. Paul, what he's sharing with the church of Ephesus and, and all of his other letters, he's writing about a revelation that he received from the Spirit of God himself and this mystery that's been made known to him and the reality of that mystery. And that is what we're going to get into throughout this whole book. And Paul, the awesome thing with Paul, um, which is different to, say, the letters of Peter, the letters of John, Peter and John walked with Jesus in the flesh. They were two of the disciples. Paul wasn't a disciple. At the time that Jesus' ministry was kind of... Paul was the guy who was named Saul who was persecuting the church. He was directly opposing what Jesus was doing and the disciples were doing. And then we see this radical encounter in the, in the book of Acts where Paul is on the road to Damascus and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a bright light that appears and a voice from heaven. He gets knocked off of his donkey and he encounters the grace of God. And then for a few years he goes into this and he isolates himself and he just seeking out God, intimacy with the Father. He doesn't have this encounter. This is maybe a, a word for someone. He doesn't have this encounter, and then without personal revelation and intimacy, just goes and blurs out. He goes to seek this out for himself. Don't just be offended at something you hear because you haven't heard it before. Don't get overly excited about something new you hear without it becoming personal to you. Because your credibility will be affected by you just kind of being the zealous guy. And like, I think this happened and then that happened. You think? <laughs> I need to base my life on you think? I need to make a decision on you think? We need to come to know Jesus. We need to come to experience Jesus. And then from that place, there'll be a credibility. There'll be a conviction. There'll be an excitement about it. But it won't just be zeal. It will be a confidence that nothing can shake you. And Paul is this type of guy. He went, he went out, he went seeking. And then he came back and he was like, guys, I need to share something with you. And we see this in Ephesians and 
Paul wrote this letter a few years after the church of Ephesus was found. And he wrote this letter like many of his other epistles. It was like he was looking for cheap accommodation. Where's cheap accommodation? Get locked up. <laughs> Go to prison. And so he wrote this letter also from, from prison a few years after he left Ephesus and the, the church was going. And he said his goodbyes. And so he's writing this letter and he's writing, So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now yeah, it's interesting, and some translations puts it a little bit differently, where it kind of links this, and I believe it can be one of two, two um, both, both ways could be, could be correct, um, writing to the saints and faithful, the, the faithful saints at Ephesus. But the King James kind of gives us an impression that he was writing to the saints at Ephesus, and then he was also addressing the faithful in Christ Jesus. Because who of you know that there are saints, believers, who aren't necessarily faithful? So he's not writing out of a, a sense of condemnation, but he's also writing so that people can understand, hey guys, yes, you are saints. You are born again, you're righteous, you're holy. We're going to dig into that a lot this morning. What does sainthood mean? What does holiness mean? But we also need to understand that there's an invitation to live out faithfully calling of God on your lives. Just because you receive the Spirit of God doesn't mean that your free will is now out the door. You've got the free will to choose how faithful you are going to be. When you get married, there isn't a promise. There isn't kind of a seal that says, cool, you've got the ring, so you've got faithfulness on your, in your, on your life for the rest of your marriage. Faithfulness is something that you need to choose for the rest of your life while you're married. In our relationship with God, God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. Man, oh man, is that an awesome thing. I know you guys are smiling behind the mask and those who aren't smiling without the mask, I know that you are being blessed by this. God is faithful to his promises. We get to respond in faithfulness in return. So Paul is writing, he says like, you guys are saints. Realize that because it's from that place, knowing your identity again, that there will be a faithfulness that you live out. You don't need to go and try and be faithful. Peter tried, right? Peter tried. Jesus did not deny you. I'll, I'll be there till the end. <laughs> Shame old Peter, man. He had good intentions. And then he goes and lies about knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. Because he depended on his faithfulness. But when we realize that it's about God's faithfulness, about his love, about me being a saint, not because of anything that I do or don't do, but I'm a saint because of everything Jesus did for me, I can respond in love. I can respond in faithfulness to God. And he's calling upon my life. So Paul's starting off this letter and he's, he's blowing, dropping this, this bomb and he says like to the saints. And we see this throughout his letters. He's calling the believers saints. Even in, in Corinth, he's calling the believers saints when there's a whole bunch of crazy that's happening in Corinth. A whole bunch of things that shouldn't be happening within a Christian community. You're going, you're going to go and study it out. I know there's, there's, there's not any of that crazy going in in this community, but there's, there was crazy stuff happening in Corinth. And still Paul calls the guys saints. How? How does he call someone holy who's living in unholiness? We're going to get into that. So it says, we are saints. What is a saint? The saint is a holy one. More specifically, a most holy thing. Someone who is blameless. Why are we called saints? Is it because something special we did? Because there's some, some, uh, some movements within the world. Do people get 
kind of, uh, what do you call it? I don't know what's the word. That they get inaugurated as saint. Saint so-and-so, saint so-and-so, saint so-and-so. But what is... What is Paul? Why does he call this church saints? Who is he talking to? Is he just kind of speaking to a few holy people? No, he's addressing the whole church, the whole family of God. We aren't called saints by anything we do, anything we don't do. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 1-2 and he says, To the church, like I said, he's addressing them in the same manner. To the church, the assembly of God, which is in Corinth, to those consecrated and purified and made holy in Christ Jesus. You are consecrated, you are made holy, you are purified, not in your works, but in Christ Jesus. That is by faith. Who are selected and called to be saints, God's people, together with all those who are in any place, called up, or to all, together with all those who in any place, call upon and give honor to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. It's that simple. If you've called on the name of the Lord, you are inaugurated a saint called a saint by God. You are called a holy one. You are blameless. And then in the end of this chapter, uh, jumping uh, down to verse 30, he says, God has united you with Christ. For our, benefit, for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure. He made us holy. Christ did it. We don't do this. Religion says, do this and you'll, you'll, you'll be holy. Do that and then you'll really be holy. If you kind of backslide, then you're not holy anymore. And then you're not a saint anymore. How did we get to a place where we think our good works can compare with what Jesus did? Firstly, Secondly, how did we get to a place where we think our bad works can take away from what Jesus did? It does not add up. But yet there's a, there's a religious system that says that only when you do this, that, and the next thing, then God's blessing will be upon you. When you don't do this, that, and the next thing, then you're not really a believer. We can't really call you a saint. That is counter gospel. And I go as far as say that is antichrist. Because anything that's anti-Jesus is anti-Christ. Anything that is anti-the gospel is anti-Christ, guys. It's not the kind of a mystical kind of triple six thing and it's a that thing. And I know those things kind of manifest, but at its simplest form, anything that is anti-Jesus is anti-Christ. Jesus Christ, guys, it's very simple. You just connect the dots like that. Anything that takes away from is anti-Christ. So we need to come to understand our holiness. Why? Because when we know how holy we are, when we know that this is our identity, we can bear the fruit of holiness. Hebrews 10, 10 from the Passion says, By God's will we have been purified, made holy, once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Are you feeling holy this morning? Are you feeling like, man, you're a saint, you're holy, you you're purified. Maybe some of you would answer, no, you're not feeling holy. You're not feeling purified. You're not feeling sanctified. But guess what? We get to base truth by measuring it to Jesus, not measuring it to our feelings. Yes, you might have that feeling, but praise God that his truth goes beyond a feeling. Jesus didn't at a moment in time in the garden of Gethsemane, at a moment he was like, Man, Lord, if it's possible, 
if it's possible, like, like is, there another, is there another way? If Jesus magnified his feelings in that moment, we would have been sitting with a problem. We knew it wasn't going to happen, but there's a, there's a specific reason why that, that account is, is recorded for us. Because we don't need to go by our feelings. We can go by a higher reality, a higher truth. And that is by what Jesus did for us on the cross. What Jesus did for, our, for us on the cross is greater than anything that you could ever experience in this life. I get that people have experiences, bad ones, good ones, but we don't base truth by an experience. There's a guy, I forgot his name now. He had an experience. He had a, an angel appear to him, and then he kind of started this whole new religion, Mormonism. It's a clear example that we, just go, we don't go based on experience. We don't make up something by something that happened. We need to go by the, the word. And there's a reason why the word is credible. We're not going to get into that this morning. But there's so much evidence and, and, and almost like, how can I say this? God DNA and inspiration and everything like that. If you look at the word of God, how it's constructed, how it's put together. This is the most credible book in all of human history. There's nothing that comes close to the accuracy and the credibility of this book if you just look at it from a historical point of view. Some secular, um, um, probably most secular books on history that is written, a lot of it uses the Bible as a reference. That's how credible is it. That's how accurate it is. But we need to ask ourselves, looking at holiness, how do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as holy? Because we tend to link holiness to an action. Now, holiness is an action, but the fruit of holiness, as God intended it to be a fruit, doesn't come as an action, as a, as a ticking box, as something to do. But it stems from identity, realizing who you are. How we see ourselves is vitally important. And guess what? It just boils down to one thing, actually. Humility. Which this room is full of humility, right? Can I get an amen? Humility says what God says. Humility agrees with God. Humility doesn't elevate opinion of self above what God says. That's the problem that we had with Adam and Eve, right? They didn't believe what God said about them. You created my image and my likeness. I've given you this whole garden. There's thousands of fruits, guys. There's one fruit, though, that you should rather avoid. crazy is that the one thing that they were supposed to just kind of avoid, pretend like it's not there almost, Satan comes into the picture and says, God's withholding something from you. It's just this one thing, like there's fruit upon fruit upon fruit upon fruit. Go wild. Don't fall to the temptation of the devil to magnify something in your life above the word of God. Don't magnify and hold on to something and kind of get overwhelmed by one thing. Because that is the devil's tactic. It can be however small, but magnify, it can be magnified to a proportion where we could miss out on so many things that God wants to do for us, through us, want to show us just because we're magnifying one thing. And oftentimes that one thing just comes against our identity. It's an attack on our identity. It's an attack on the word of God. But we need to choose because humility isn't the fruit of the spirit. Humility is something that we need to choose. We need to choose to respond in humility. Adam and Eve's problem wasn't, their sin wasn't, how can I put this? Um, the sin wasn't that they ate of the fruit per se. Their sin was not believing 
that God was good. Not believing that God gave them everything that they needed to have the best life ever. Their sin was disbelief in the nature and the character of God. It was a lack of humility, edifying and magnifying opinion of self above God. Because they got faced with the, the option to, to take the lie. The lie was, did God really? It was a question mark on the statement of God. Did God really? Is God really? Or God is withholding something. God knows if you do this, then you'll get this. If you do this, then you'll actually only be like God. That was a lie, and he twisted, and he, and he made Adam and Eve doubt in the nature and the character of God. And that doubt led to a prideful response and saying, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right, meaning I'm going to now build a new belief system, self, pride, magnify above what God said, and that led to the fall of man. And so this topic that we're talking about, believing what God said about you is utterly important for your life, living in holiness, bearing the fruit of Christ. You need to first believe that the Spirit of God is living inside of you, and by that you are holy, you are blameless, you are saint. doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made this past week. You can't fix your mistakes. You can't fix your life. Man cannot fix man. Only God can change and transform a person, a family, a community, a nation, and the world. And God has done His part. A lot of people are waiting for God to do something. God has played His part. He sent Jesus. Jesus died. Jesus overcame. Now His Spirit is available to anyone who wants to live in Him and to live through Him. We need to have a God view of ourselves. Stop having a, a worldview of ourselves. We need to see ourselves from Christ's point of view. Sainthood and being holy isn't about what you do, but it's about identity. It's not about doing, but it's about being. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a reward of them that diligently seek Him. Faith says, I don't understand this. I don't get this. I don't feel like it. But I'm believe because God said that's what faith says that's what humility says like I don't necessarily understand it I don't feel like it but if God says it's good for me if God says that I'm a saint if God's declaration of me is holy one blameless purified it doesn't matter if I've just lost my temper at Chris because he doesn't want to eat because that's been a frustrating this this past few months <laughs> man he doesn't want to get the spoon of the purity in his mouth and yo and I I'm not I'm not one that enjoys getting porridge and I don't like getting dirty man. If I'm if I'm gonna be purposeful and I get dressed to be dirty then it's fine but yo otherwise it's it's a frustration sometimes. So so in those moments where I lose my cool and like man I know this isn't God's spirit manifesting through me I don't feel condemned. I just say thank you Jesus that man I'm holy. I'm your, I'm your child. I'm your son. You love me so much. Thank you that I can demonstrate and bear the fruit of patience in this moment right now. And the only way that that's going to be possible is if I acknowledge. Philemon 1 verse 6 says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Are you acknowledging? Are you realizing? Have you come to know what is in you? 
That is this letter it's about. It's about what is inside of you, the Spirit of God inside of you, because as we come to know this, as we acknowledge this, as we agree with this, by humility, as we come to agree with this, there can be a communication of our faith that can actually become. And that isn't just talking about faith. It's living out your faith, witnessing your faith, demonstrating the gospel, not just talking about the gospel. We just need to acknowledge what we have. That is all that is Paul is inviting us to. He's, he's magnifying identity in his opening letter to this church. We need to acknowledge what we have. When we make mistakes, like it's not to diminish and to kind of say like, oh, it's fine to make mistakes. That's not, that's not what the gospel is. It's to realize that your mistake doesn't define you. It's to be graceful enough to not define someone else by their mistakes. Because it's lovely to receive grace for ourselves, right? Man, we're all about receiving grace for ourselves. But then when it comes to distributing grace, it's like, ah, oh, man, I don't know about that. I'm going to hold that against them for a week or so. Anyone in the room has done that before? <laughs> Maybe I haven't said it, but you've definitely done it. And we, we, we get to a place where we justify it as well. Like, I haven't done that before, so I'm justified to withhold some of my life for that person. I'm justified this, that, and the next thing. We just need to come to know that, man, without Jesus, all of us are on the same camp. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Without Jesus, everyone's in the same camp. With Jesus, everyone is in the same camp. So stop comparing ourselves among ourselves. Stop regarding one another after the flesh, what you see, what you don't see. Regard one another after the Spirit, seeing the Spirit of God live in someone. That is what the invitation is in, in Romans 6, verse 9 to 11. For the sake of time, we're not going to go there. You can just jot that down. But it's just this coming to know, being convinced of what Jesus did for us on the cross through His death and His resurrection. Coming to know in that same way that Jesus died and overcame death, in that same way we've died to the reign and the power of sin, and once someone has died and was raised, it's done. It's finished. Jesus isn't going to die again. You're not going to die to sin again, to the reign of sin in your life. If you're a son of God, if you're a child of God, a daughter of the king, you've received the spirit of God, you've identified with his death, and you've identified with his resurrection, it's a done deal. It's finished. Now, maybe you're not experiencing it, but it's not because there's something missing. You just need to come to acknowledge. Romans 12 verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Not the removing of your minds. The renewing of your minds. It's a process, but it's a choice. We need to choose it. It's awesome. In closing, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 19 and then verse 22 because we see these polar opposites, so to speak. And it says, Galatians 5 verse 19 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And then it lists them. And then verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it lists, lists them. There's a work of the flesh, and then there's a fruit of the Spirit. As a born-again child of God, your identity is sainthood. Your identity is holiness. Your identity is righteousness. Your identity is loved without a shadow of a doubt. Now you can work your flesh, or you can allow the fruit of the Spirit to come out of you. The point is this, as a child of God, as a born-again believer, it is actually difficult for you to live in sin. It is a work. 
but it's actually very easy to release the fruit of the Spirit because you've got a new identity. Your identity screams holiness. Your identity, your core, shouts out. The Holy Spirit's convincing. His conviction, His ministry to you, John chapter 16, talks about He's convicting us of righteousness. He's ministering righteousness, holiness to us on a daily basis. As a Christ, we need to come together and speak the same language as the Holy Spirit to one another. Not telling people who to marry, who not to marry. That's another ministry. Not that it's a ministry. Like, uh, just to clarify, it's, it's not really, that's not our job as, as believers to, to, to play that role. We need to come in agreement with the Holy Spirit for ourselves, agree with what He says about us, and then come to, to train ourselves to be co-laborers with Him when someone is doing something silly, to speak sainthood over them, to speak identity over them, to speak the love of Christ over them, because in doing so, we're drawing the gold that is inside of people out to the surface and we be, we're able to be a blessing to one another. We're able to be in unity, working forward together, having an impact on this, on this world. Now in closing, talking about holiness, that this is part of our nature. That's a, struggling to live in holiness is not a nature problem. It's a, it's a belief problem. It's a humility problem. Because if you're humble enough and if you believe the love of Christ and what He did for you on the cross, you'll believe that you are a saint. You are a holy one. You are blameless. And the more you come to know this love of Christ and how He's made you holy and that this is a, a done deal, it's sealed, and you come to know Jesus through the Gospels, if you come to know Jesus and the manifestation of Him living inside of you through the epistles, it's going to start changing the way that you live because you're being transformed by renewing your mind. Do you believe that you are a saint, a holy one, pure and righteous? You have to ask yourself that question on a daily basis. This is going to be something that you'll be challenged with, whether it's by Satan himself through sowing a, a lie and a, and a thought, whether it's through a loved one who's, who's holding your actions against you, whether it's through your boss, whatever the case may be. You'll be faced with many opportunities to challenge your belief on how you see yourself. And yes, there's, there's moments where your actions are going to have consequences, but we need to realize in, in light of God's view to us, there's no consequences. His love is never ending. His grace is never ending. He doesn't change his view of us. No matter how low we are, it doesn't matter what we do, what we don't do. Because just like you couldn't do anything to be ushered into the family of God, you can't do anything to be ushered out of the family of God. That gives us a confidence to, to experience God's love, to receive his love and to live from that place of love, even when we make mistakes. But also having humility, because it's not saying like, oh, I'm perfect, like I, don't, I, I, don't, I can't grow. It's humbly saying like, I can grow in this area. But the motivation and the enabling to growth is love. It's identity, sonship. You cannot live in a way that opposes what you really believe about yourself. And in this opening letter, Paul is stating and and declaring identity, and it's coming up throughout this letter, throughout the first three chapters specifically, identity, identity, in Him, in Him, in Him. God wants us to believe that we are saints and holy ones. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at
If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.